0: Fourth
1: watch starts now. Hello,
0: everybody. You're listening to The Fourth Watch with Justin Fall on The Fourth Watch Radio Network. I hope everyone's having a blessed week. Tonight's going to be an in-depth discussion charting our way through various supernatural areas of Scripture and tying it in to our prophetic worldview of End Times events. From the mountain of God and heavenly technology all the way to fallen angels and spiritual prisons— Tonight, we delve into another fascinating area of Christian research. We've got a lot to cover, so let's go ahead and start the adventure. Submitted for the approval of the 4th Watch Radio Network, I call this episode of Angels and Gods, Supernatural Theology, with Ali Siadatan. Well, it's officially Thursday, and that means it's officially time for the Fourth Watch. It is such a blessing to be back with you all, and we've got a great show on tap tonight. If you're a new listener, we're very grateful to have you tuning in, and we want to let you know that there's a brand new show posted every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard. Be sure to head on over to FourthWatchRadio.com. That's F O U R T H W A T C H. RADIO.com, FourthWatchRadio.com. There you'll find show archives, links to our free mobile apps for Apple and Android devices, links to all of our websites, as well as a donate page that will show multiple ways you can help support the Fourth Watch Ministries. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes if that's your preferred method of listening. Now, a couple quick notes. I'm only broadcasting the Fourth Watch Thursday show every other week, as many of you know, while I'm finishing the upcoming film. But be sure to tune in to Omega Frequency with BDK, airing Mondays on the 4th Watch. Also, we're approaching the completion of the Hollow Earth Chronicles Episode 1, Praise God, and Lord willing, pre-orders will be set up and open in roughly two weeks on our website, so you can go ahead and get yours on order soon. Lastly, I want to apologize for not having a show up last week, but praise God, we're back in action this week. Now, tonight we're joined by a man of many talents. Who is a fellow brother in Christ as well as a researcher and filmmaker. Ali's website is thinkagainproductions.com. That's thinkagainproductions.com. And his first film, UFOs, Angels and Gods, is available to stream absolutely free on his website. We've got so much to talk about, so let's go ahead and welcome on Ali Siadatan. Ali, welcome to the fourth watch. How are you tonight? Fine, thank you, Justin. Great to
1: be here. Looking forward to the show.
0: Hey, I'm looking forward to it as well. And I just want to say, we've been on the phone now for what about half an hour, 45 minutes, and just yes. th- the things we've been talking about should have been recorded. And so it's one of those it's one of those moments where you wish you would have started recording instantly, but we just we jumped right into amazing conversation. Really looking forward to the discussion tonight. Um, Before we even get started, uh, for for some of our listeners who may not be familiar with you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about your ministry. You're a filmmaker. You're a researcher. Uh, Just give us a little rundown of who you are and and what you do.
1: Um, In the middle of the 1990s, uh, kind of between 96 to 98, or in that time, um, I was at a Bible study, and I was introduced to, to the idea that there may be actually Vehicles mentioned in the Bible. Uh, That kind of shocked me. Never heard that before. Uh, looking at the vision of Ezekiel. And then I started to look deeper into the the whole idea of angels. And we started to see that the Genesis 6 passage that uh, the sons of God had had relations with daughters of men. And, and once, once we realized that these were not humans, uh, that opened the research into the, into the Nephilim. Um, um, in in those days, Yahoo was the search engine of the world. You know, I typed in Nephilim and it said zero uh, results found. So I started to, you know, go through the libraries and uh, then the Lord opened up uh, this whole part of the Bible that had to do with the gods of the nations and kind of showed us that these were real beings. They were not mythological beings as it was customary for the church to, to teach that there are many passages like Daniel chapter 10 that talks about Uh, The prince of Persia uh, fighting an angel that comes from heaven, like Satan, who says to the Lord that he has dominion over all the nations and he would give them to the Lord if he worshipped him. This whole angelic presence uh, and in the book of Deuteronomy talks about how God divided the nations and uh, gave dominion to the sons of God over the nations and took Jacob for himself, set them apart for his purposes. Uh, So this idea uh, of who the gods of the ancient world were and how they were connected to these vehicles throughout the ages all the way into the 20th century and the whole idea of of, uh, hybrids being born uh, that are of angelic and human source uh, led me to research uh, the modern-day UFO phenomenon because I had a UFO sighting in, in Iran in 97. And that led me deep into researching the UFO phenomenon. It shocked me; it was now real to me. Um, and and that uh, the UFO phenomenon, when you look into it, uh, very quickly kind of leads you to alien abductions. And uh, I, I met Dr. Jacobs, the uh, who was the world's foremost researcher. Started talking to him, reading his books, and realized that that the creation of hybrids were at the very heart of uh, the modern day UFO phenomenon. And the idea came to us that uh, the rise of the Antichrist. Uh, had to do with these hybrids because these hybrids had to do with the Nephilim of old. And, and the whole thing was just, you know, our heads were spinning, um, as the Lord kept unveiling the scriptures. Uh, and so I felt compelled to, to share this with the world and, and, uh, and make a documentary. And so in 2006, uh, we released the UFOs, angels and gods. Which was kind of the fruit of our research and dealt with all the topics uh, I mentioned so far. I kind of put it all together. Uh, we interviewed Dr. Chuck Missler, Dr. David Jacobs, and other people. Uh, Barry Downing, who was the first ever Christian ever to publish a book in the 60s that connected, you know, the idea of angels and UFOs. Um, uh, 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 we, we put it on Google Video because YouTube was was. In its infancy, it was just owned by three young book men, um, and, and Google Video. And, and it got 270,000 views, which was a lot for 2006. It, audiovisual hadn't really taken off. And, and, and so over time, I've seen many other researchers, uh, come, uh, with uh, insight into this topic. And I've seen many of the, uh, faithful, uh, come to agree with these things. And so it's it really confirmed for us that we weren't uh, out there we weren't crazy that the Lord was truly through the Holy Spirit unveiling passages of the Bible uh that were necessary for this generation to understand because of what lies ahead of us uh, going forward towards the second coming that the Lord was really unveiling this information and and and, and uh, many people in the church are awakening to it so this was kind of the the beginning of this of this ministry and I've been laboring in it, talking about it. And now we're working on a new series called Goliath Rising because there is new information and new insight. And I'm also working on a book uh, called the chariots of Elohim. So it's, um, it's, it's uh, changed my life at first. It was, it was just my personal search and where God was leading us. And then it was the, the, the this feeling of the need to share. But once it was shared, then, uh, it kind of became a very part, a very important part of my life. Uh, I, I also have a ministry in the city of Toronto here, where we reach uh, into just the urban life. Uh, we organize uh, Bible studies, run services, uh, and uh, and have us and you know have a missionary-like uh, urban ministry uh, in the city of Toronto.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. And and it's very our stories are similar. How we we began to do a a journey for ourselves to to learn and to research. Uh, some of the, we'll just say, some of the the lesser topics of Scripture. And it's not that they're lesser in value, but they're lesser in the spotlight. These are the issues that don't get talked about from the pulpit very often. Um, and I think it's very important that Christians do wake up to the supernatural realities of Scripture. Uh, you know, I, I've been going through Exodus, and I know we're going to talk about this a little bit later on in the show. But when the Lord comes down on Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, whatever you want to call it, when he comes down, and this was the first public appearance, when when all of the Israelites had gathered around the mountain, and God said, "Hey, do not touch the mountain; don't even touch the border. But I want y'all there." He told Moses, "I want the people there to see and hear me talk to you. I want it to be; I want them to know that I really am talking to you and commanding you." And what's amazing is the description in in the, in the Bible itself. It talks about the fire, the Lord descending in a fire and and smoke. I can only imagine, I mean, if I walked up, if I was walking through the desert or if I was on a hike somewhere and I happened to see something like this, I mean, my first instinct would be to run and to pray. Uh, I mean, (laughs) but but this is the supernatural power of God. When God did all the amazing miracles, when, when he delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt and he took them through the wilderness, he did this by his strong hand. And when we read about God's strong hand, sometimes it's just we we're just like, yeah, God is strong. We get it. But it, 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 it's something that the human mind can't even fathom the fullness of the strong hand of God. I mean, for God to be able to perform these things, to do these things and, and humans were to see these things and write them down. Yes, I, I'm just my mind is blown and we, we get so caught up in rationalism and in, in the modern church teaching and modern theology and social justice and all these issues that really have nothing to do with the core of Scripture. I mean, granted, there are themes that are projected that, that are biblical, but we have to get back to the supernatural roots of Scripture and understand that we serve a supernatural God of God's.
1: When you look at the the five books of Moses, since you're talking about Mount Sinai where the law was given, uh, when you look at the five books of Moses, there are more verses dedicated to the temple than anything else in those five books. And that's because the temple is the meeting place of man and God. It talks to the fact that God wants to enter the world, the creation, and meet us in it. And of course, when God enters the creation to meet us, well, all kinds of supernatural events occur because he's mighty, he's powerful. Uh, We see uh, the Lord said, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. He was talking about his own body. And we're told by Paul that the body has become the temple of the Holy Spirit. So there's this idea that God now meets us in our inner being. And eventually he returns to the earth with an entire army um, and and takes over the whole planet. And that is very powerful. Um, God has entered the world uh, and wants to meet his creation Uh, and he does have immense power Uh, it reminded me of psalm 68 verse 17 it says in psalm 68 the chariots of god are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands the lord has come from sinai into his sanctuary Uh, and other translations say surrounded by unnumbered thousands of chariots the lord came from mount sinai um, or, you know, the American Standard Bible will say the chariots of God are myriots, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them as at Sinai in holiness. So the Lord was there leading Israel out, and he wasn't alone. He was with a horde of his angels, with the host of heaven, and with their markava, with their chariots, according to scripture. Um, so it was an incredibly large event, a phenomenal event uh, you're right. It was it was it was fantastic, and the, God's mighty power was there with them.
0: You know, I I, uh, I wasn't gonna do this. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and I'm I'm gonna say something. I've been saving this, um, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna show you. Um, obviously I, I can't I can't let you release this, but I've got a video that came from a personal friend. You know, uh, from Texas. That that's what I can say about it right now. And she's outside with her dogs one night. In her backyard, and you know, I grew up in Texas. And depending on where you live in Texas, you you know, you walk out in your backyard, and at nighttime, it is an open sky. I mean, you can see the stars, you can see everything. Um, It's not quite like that where I live in Georgia now. But growing up in Texas, I'll never forget the night sky. I mean, you could, man, the Texas night sky where I lived, uh, you could just see everything. It was beautiful. So she's outside, she's she's playing with her pit bulls, and she she pulls out her camera on her phone, and she's, I think it's an iPhone. She's filming her dog's playing, you know, which which is a normal thing for people to do. I, I film my dog and she sees something in her peripheral up in the sky. I mean, you, you want to talk about a divine appointment. She's already filming her dogs. And so she basically sees this thing in the sky and she she aims her phone up at the sky and, and films and she gets footage. Wow! unlike anything I've ever seen before, I've never seen any UFO recording. I mean, this clear. And not to mention, it was shot in HD. Everybody always complains about the UFO footage. It's always <laughs> blurry and it's like, you know, 360p or whatever. Maybe 480p if you're lucky. Sorry, people, if you don't know what that means. That's just the video resolution. But what she has is high definition. And I was able to get the original footage. And I was able to up-convert it to 4K to be able to zoom in on the actual UFO. Now, this was not a disc, Wow. This this was uh, I showed it to Chad Riley and he thinks he's convinced with all of his being that what we're looking at here is an actual Merkava. We're actually it, it was like a ring, and when it moved, there were flames of fire around it, and you can see the flames of fire moving. And I was able to get this thing so large. Uh, you know, I've got some really good plugins for Adobe After Effects. I was literally able to upconvert this without losing an ounce of quality. And, I mean, it's unbelievable. And I've never seen anything like this before because it moves like fire. It's like a ring of fire moving, and it flies, and it changes direction, and then it shoots off.
1: It's incredible that your story is great because it also comes from a reliable source, someone that you know and trust, uh, and that's important. Uh, It really adds to it. Uh, it. It's interesting. It says that Elijah was taken up in a chariot of fire with horses of fire, uh, you know, people have to, in the modern day UFO phenomenon too, uh, as a researcher, I come across this all the time where people use language of their own world to talk about it because it's outside of our, uh, the context of our lives. We don't have proper words for it. People will say things like, oh, it looks like a mintos, you know, like a candy with all the colors in it. Or it looks like a hot dog or it looks like a cake or a ping pong table. Well, because, you know, they have to use the terms of their own their world, uh, to talk about this. My UFO sighting happened in the deserts of Iran. Um, I was uh, driving uh, late at night with my father. He 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 didn't like to drive during the day, and when we went from city to city on the highway, he felt it was too dangerous. It was too much traffic, uh, and he preferred to drive at night. So it was very late at night, uh, about probably past midnight, and we're driving south from Tehran, the capital, to. Shiraz, which is an 11-hour ride to the south. And it's like desert, but it's like kind of like a rocky desert, like Arizona. It's not like sand dunes. Uh, when We're going to sleep over in Isfahan, which is a town of several million people in between. So we're on the first leg of the journey, and uh, I have my back to the passenger door. My dad's wife is sitting uh on the front seat driving, and my dad is in the middle of the back seat. Suddenly, my wife's dad looks out the window, and she points out the window behind my head and makes you know, weird noises like, oh, 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 like that. And my dad turns around and say, what's wrong? And I'm so busy, I'm telling my story, I don't pay too much attention. He turns around looks, and now they're both looking out the window, uh, making these gestures and funny noises. It catches my attention. I'm like, oh, what's wrong with you guys? So I sit properly in my seat and I look out the window and just a few hundred feet uh, to the right and above us, there is this giant, and this thing is huge, this giant disc. It has many different uh, floors. Like I can see division in in it. I can see the division uh, of the structure. And then there's green lights all around it to the point where it's glowing green. I can see the green glow, but I can see that it's because of all the green lights around it. And this thing is slowly coming down and eventually is perpendicular to the car. And this black tube comes out of the ground that looks like the, the desert night, it's like it's camouflaged, has the same color as the night. And this thing goes on top of it and it goes into the ground, you know. And, and my dad's wife, you know, cries out uh, that God has given us a sign to, tell us, that, to sh- tell us that all that Ali is saying is true because I was sharing the word of God. I went to, to Iran to share the word of God with my dad and his wife concerning some prophecies. Uh, in the Middle East and about uh, who the Lord, uh, was, uh, is, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and the Lord really intervened in that trip and opened their hearts and minds. Uh, and, and so as we were reading the scriptures and driving south, this happened and, and this, she felt this was a sign. And then she was like, you know, did you see that? Did you see that? And my dad's like, I did. And I, and I just sat quietly in my seat. Uh, but definitely there are people all around the world who are seeing these things. And I believe that the scriptures shed a lot of light uh, on on who this other is that's among us and and the Bible story going back to the Eden to the Garden of Eden has always included more than just us and, and, and they're chariots of fire like you're talking about uh, in, in the Word of God
0: now when you saw this this is interesting and, and you mentioned this to me beforehand uh, before we started recording but what you experienced was a UFO that came down and went into the earth. Yes. I just want this to sink in real quick because a lot of people, they hear, the, they hear UFO stories and, and they're more concerned with the UFO than they are the behavior and what it actually did. And so what, what you saw was a UFO that came down and there was some type of a gate that opened up on the earth. If you want to call it a gate or something, you, you said this, this tube comes up yeah. and the UFO goes down into a subterranean realm.
1: Yes, it did.
0: I mean, there's no other way, uh, you know, I mean, there's no other way of, of explaining that. I mean, that's...
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we see a lot of, we see UFOs coming out of water as well, like uh, Jacques Vallée, who who went deep into the Amazon because there was a, a village deep in the Amazon that was having an, a large number of UFO activity. Uh, he he was one of the first people to start documenting that these guys seem to come out of water. Um, and, and so they, they come out of the ground and they go into the ground. There's a, a lot of uh, stories that talk about that for sure.
0: It's just it's unbelievable because the the idea of this hollow earth and, and I know it's, it's timely because of, of the film that's getting ready to come out. But there's so much going on involving the hollow earth. And, and I've kind of started using the term hollow earth uh, because that's that's the term that most people know it by but we're dealing with subterranean realms that are connected with the fallen angels they're connected with the alien you know what you say the alien phenomena um the portals so it's very interesting when you told me that story about what you saw because i mean right there that's eyewitness accounts of a ufo that was right there taken down and this was in iran and I, i'm not too familiar with iran uh with, with you know their their history of ufos i mean is this a common thing over there do they have a lot of ufo sightings
1: There was a very famous UFO sighting in the early 70s because the government of the king in those days, this was before the revolution, dispatched uh, fighter jets, uh, I think, uh, to go and uh, look, you know, after them. And because of the fact that the government's fighter jets got involved, it made it into the news. And that became kind of one of the more, you know, famous uh, stories of sightings in the modern era. Uh, But there are uh, lots of people who talk about both abductions and things that um, abductees do sometimes automatic writing, where someone uh, has had an experience the night before, they know something happened to them, they wake up the next day, and they uncontrollably make all kinds of little uh, pictures, little images that they draw, automatic writing, and they fill the page with it. Uh, so it looks like an angelic language or something. There's, there are stories like that that. Have even made. There was one case that that made it into the news uh, about 12 years ago, where so many people in the, in the city suddenly said that something happened last night that they can't explain. And 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 I met one of these guys. You know, he said he woke up the next day and and he could. And from that day on, he's been just writing, making these pictures. He doesn't know where they came from, but he can't stop. So so there is UFO activity. Dr. Jacobs receives messages through Google Translate from Egypt, from China. In China UFO groups have millions millions of people belong to UFO clubs in China. Um it, it is a worldwide, you know, religion nearly where people are looking uh, uh for their savior. Uh in the UFOs they think well, the world has a lot of problems and these guys maybe are here to help us. In fact, it's the very much the other way around once you look into it. Um to you know to, to your point about the relationship between a hollow earth and uh, angels, there are many accounts in the word of God that I think point in that direction. In the book of Revelation, it talks about four angels who are kept in the river Euphrates and are released. Uh, the uh, book of Enoch talks about the angels who, the fallen angels who came and uh, had sexual relations with the daughters of Adam. Um, it says that they were arrested and put in a prison in the desert of delaul where that is, <laughs> I remember in the, in the mid-1990s when I first read that, I, I launched on a huge search to look for the desert of Delaul. I haven't found it yet because, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's an old uh, uh, name for, for somewhere that definitely is known. Um, one story that I shared with you when we were talking uh, that opened really my eyes to the idea that the physical world could be used as a prison cell for angels uh, was this guy who came uh, into my business to rent some space. And I found out that uh, he was a Zoroastrian priest and a uh, taught a form of meditation that connected people to uh, some of the gods of the Zoroastrian tradition, such as Mithra, and they learned about uh, martial codes. Uh, different types of fighting were poured into their consciousness. Uh, through these meditations, and he wanted to rent my space to teach this, and I said, well, I can't because this place belongs to Yahweh, the God of Israel. But he would kind of come to my business and walk with me uh, part of the way home. He he wouldn't leave me alone for a little while, and one day he started to tell me things about my personal life, and I realized he has a spirit. And then suddenly he looked at me and he said, you know those angels uh, from before the flood? I said, yeah. He said, well, one of them was grabbed and taken and put uh, thrown uh, in Titan." And he was imprisoned, uh, in Titan. And, and I said, Titan, where's Titan? He said, well, Titan, it's one of the moons of Jupiter, don't you know? And I thought, no, I don't. So I came home and I Googled it and, and yes, the, one of the moons of Jupiter is actually called Titan, which is the Greek term for the Nephilim, these hybrids of fallen angels of men that, that come into the biblical narrative, uh, in Genesis chapter six. Um, he, I looked into Titan, and there's a lake there called Lacus Ontario, because it looks like Lake Ontario, but it's huge, it's three times the size, and it's made of this liquid uh, gas that's in sub-zero temperatures. It's like a permanent bridge. And I thought, well, could, it, could this be possible? Could God use this, this natural refrigerator to imprison one of these mighty beings? And, and suddenly, reading back into the stories of angels being kept in the river Euphrates, for instance, and things coming out of the earth, uh, like in Revelation chapter 9, the idea that God would use like the tectonic plates, the, the the plates of the continents, as prison cells. He would click them together and use them as prison cells deep into the earth and keep these guys in the earth suddenly became a possibility uh, to, to to my thinking. Uh, and if this UFO that I saw went into the earth, it implies that there's an entire infrastructure to welcome the ship. Uh, and so, yeah, I think there's there's enough evidence in the scriptures uh, when it comes to Hades and all of the things that are, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about the underworld, let's say, uh, and the angels being cast into the earth, down to the earth. And if the they cast into the earth and there's a lot of these fallen angels, where where are they exactly housed uh, so uh, yeah, I think you're onto something. I, I really look forward to seeing the fruits of your research.
0: I, I got to tell you one thing that really gets me just—it blows my mind every time. When when we we learn that Satan is going up and down inside the Earth, back and forth, up and down inside the Earth, the question the question always comes up into my mind because Satan is not omnipresent. Okay, we know he's not. He can only be in one place at one time, and so being that he's limited, well, there has to be something pretty important to him inside the earth for him to be going back and forth, doing a regular check on what's going on, what type of operations are taking place inside the earth. They've got to be so important to Satan for him to be going back and forth, up and down there, because Satan isn't just gonna, he doesn't just, you know, globetrot, he doesn't just run around for fun. I mean, he's got a mission, and so for him to just personally and physically be going down into the earth, something there requires his direct attention. And I think that should be enough for any Christian to want to research and find out a little bit more about this hollow earth and and what exactly the Bible says about it, and then find out what the other cultures teach to kind of help round out the story and understand that there is stuff going on there that is ungodly. And I believe it is all prophetic. A lot of people say, "Well, well, why is this important? Why do Christians need to research this? And I say because I believe it lines up with Bible prophecy. I believe it's all leading up to what we believe is going to be a return of these hybrids, a return of these these ancient entities on the earth. That's my my stance on it. And I know a lot of people don't agree with me there, but I believe it's all prophetic in nature. So, uh, yeah, it's very important. And it all ties together. This ties together with the Nephilim. I mean, you've got the Genesis 6 connection. You've got the UFO connection, the fallen angels. It all it's all little pieces to the puzzle that we're all bringing to the table and the body of Christ needs to start taking these things and, and and be blessed by them. Be blessed that we have all these different people in the in the Christian research area bringing these things out there, making them available so that we can put them all together because the average person doesn't have time. I know I only have time to work on one project at a time. And so you're working on your projects, I'm working on mine, you got Skywatch working on theirs and, and others as well. And then we all bring these things out and it allows the average Christian who doesn't have much extra time to be able to sit down and have the information presented. So, I mean, what we do, it, it, it's all interlocking behind the scenes.
1: Yeah, the, the Bible is a very complex book with a very profound uh, tale in it. it obviously, it's the words of God, so, you know, it's very rich. Um, and no one has figured the whole book out. Uh, we can't say that a particular age of the church understood the scriptures and the future ages of the church are not going to receive deeper insight or more insight into them Uh, they are and so we have to be open to growing uh, in our understanding Um, it's not about changing the word of god it's about uh, understanding it more accurately and and more completely um there is i believe that at different ages god through the holy spirit opens up different parts of the bible as need be to his Uh, People living at that time, Uh, at the time of the Protestant Reformation, it seems that the Lord really brought the focus on how salvation is obtained in order to release people from the bondage uh, to to, to a particular structure that wasn't godly uh, and and reconnect them directly into into fellowship with himself. Um, Today, as we are headed towards the second coming, we need to be informed about the kinds of passages that will help us not be deceived, first of all, because the Lord, when he was asked to to talk about the second coming, he starts and finishes his speech in Matthew chapter 24 with the admonition, do not be deceived, which implies it's going to be a time of deception. So if we don't know the reality, the way that God explains it, there's going to be a lot of uh, powers out there weaving reality into the minds of the population. And, And I can now see with the explosion of the Internet and social media, that it really is very easy to beam reality into people's brains nearly uh, directly. It's not like, you know, the time of the Roman Empire where Paul and his buddies have to walk through these roads and stand at intersections and yell out the gospel. We've come a long way from that. So it really is a time where the machinery to deceive is available. And so we we need to understand what's going on from a biblical point of view to protect it. We also need to understand it because what's ahead of us is going to be more and more supernatural. The return of Israel to this land uh, initiated a period of time uh, that is, again, if you will, biblical times. The Holy Spirit has been going around and and the fullness of the Gentiles has been coming in as the Lord has been grafting the Gentiles into the covenant that he's made with the house of Judah and the house of Israel. And, And now it seems that the focus is, again, coming back and we're entering into these biblical times leading to the second coming, and many parts of the Bible that have to do with the supernatural, such as the rise of this son of perdition who, who makes lying signs and wonders come from the sky, who makes fire come from the sky, you know, the battle of these prophets in the city of Jerusalem, they're dead, they're brought back to life, everyone sees them on TV, they ascend, all kinds of things are ahead of us that we need to understand the angelic parts, the supernatural parts. All uh, parts of the Bible that talk about these phenomena that have been a bit dormant for the church, maybe they were not as useful, are coming online again in our consciousness, and the Lord is unveiling it for us in order to prepare us for what is ahead of, uh, what lies ahead. Uh, and, and ultimately, it's about making the Word of God real and alive. Satan has gone out of his way to turn the Word of God into a myth. Uh, to, for instance, when we discovered when I discovered that there were uh, hundreds of verses in the Word of God uh, that talked about the gods of the nations as being real beings, like in 1 Corinthians 10.20 where Paul says the gods of the Gentiles are devils. He says it, and he's actually quoting Deuteronomy um, 32. So there are so many verses in the Bible that talk about uh, these beings, and I I looked at uh, how the church saw it, and I thought, wow, this is so interesting. All Satan has done is he's put a little uh, sign that he wrote on a cardboard box nearly that says myth. And he's put it on top of his entire power structure that has been behind the nations, uh, uh, that people worship these guys as gods. The emperors of the world received their scepter of rule from from them. They were oracles that brought their word. There were entire religions that recorded their laws, which were the algorithms uh, of civilization. And these competed with the instructions of God, that Satan has been giving commandments to humans all the way from the Garden of Eden when he gave commandments to Eve and altered her thinking about the word of God, that this has been going on. Yet Satan has hidden this entire reality of of them posing as gods and being behind the nations by simply putting a little cardboard box in our minds that said, hey, the gods were just myths, mythological beings. There's nothing to see here, folks. And so there's just to your point, there are many other parts of the Bible that have been turned into myth and that we're simply pushing this veil away and saying, no, the word of God is actually revealing to us the true nature of the reality we find ourselves in. And all of these things, including beings in the earth and, 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 and vehicles flying around, all of these things are spoken of in the word of God and they simply make the story more real and help us appreciate the spiritual teachings and the worldview that is conveyed through it.
0: We've got this popular mindset about the religions that it's just myth, you know, that's just a myth, you know, the Mormon myth, uh, the Greek myth, uh, everybody, it just seems to be that the world has kind of shifted into this idea that, you know, religion is a myth, but man doesn't just sit around and make up religion on his own. I mean, it doesn't happen. It doesn't work like that. I mean, granted, there might be some cults out there where somebody wanted power, and so they created this whole doctrine. But even at the root of that scenario, we're dealing with uh, this person being influenced by spirits. And so, you know, I, I I catch flack sometimes for saying this, but the religions of the world were started and proliferated by fallen angels and demons. I mean, How do we think that, I mean, you've got all these people following after these religions with their own groups of gods. You've got supernatural history involved in their religions. I mean, look, even Catholicism. You've got demonic miracles that have been taking place in Catholicism for years upon years upon years. I mean, everything from stigmata. You've got statues crying blood. You've got the the palms of statues uh, bleeding. Yeah, the Marian apparitions which we know it wasn't really Mary, uh it was a demonic entity, yes. but all these things really happen. They're not just, I mean granted if a Catholic opens up a, a bag of Cheetos and says, "Oh, I've got a Cheeto in the shape of of the Virgin Mary." Okay, yeah, that's that's a little extreme. That's just their mind. But when you're dealing with these real miracles, like the like the communion wafer, I don't even want to call it communion. Let me rephrase that. The the Eucharist wafer. Because you know, obviously right. the Lord's Supper is not the same as taking the Eucharist, but the Eucharist wafer Uh, I've read stories out of the actual Catholic encyclopedia. These are officially published Catholic um, documented events where the Eucharist wafer literally transformed into flesh. And they they sent it off for testing and they found it to be cardiac tissue. I mean, this is published in the Catholic encyclopedia. So all these different miracles and it's not just Catholicism. You know, you've got these religions of the world, such as Hindus, such as Buddhists, such as Muslims, um, and they're all speaking in tongues. Okay, there's videos all over YouTube showing their rituals and they are speaking in tongues, which sound very, very similar to some of the hyper charismatic churches um, that that we find in America that are underneath the New Apostolic Reformation movement, such as the Bethel, such as the IHOP. You know, and and again, I'm not here to, to you know, I'm not trying to start a fight with anybody. I'm just making a point that there are supernatural events taking place that have always taken place inside the walls of these world religions. Man does not come up with this on their own. This goes right back to the gods of old, the fallen angels who can, they present themselves as angels of light, and they can also present lying signs and wonders. And if we think for one second that the the lying signs and wonders that started these religions, if we think that they've watered down, people, you got another thing coming. Because in the end, especially in the time near the tribulation and during the tribulation, There's going to be more lying signs and wonders taking place on this earth than mankind has ever seen. That's what I believe. And so much, it's going to be so strong, according to Scripture, that if it were possible, the elect would be deceived by the Antichrist and that they would believe that he is the Christ. But the Bible says, if it were possible... So obviously, I believe the elect, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but the elect, uh, look, the elect already are deceived in certain areas of their life. We all have certain areas where we might be deceived here and there. But that passage is talking about being deceived unto accepting a false Christ. So the true elect during the tribulation, if they're really God's elect, they will not accept the false Christ as Christ. But that doesn't mean that they can just walk around sleepwalking. They still need to know their enemy. They need to know what is going to take place. You know, and and Ali, I know, um, you know, one of the biggest debates in the Christian uh, prophecy movement is going to be the timing of the rapture. I I see so much division about this. People are always fighting about this, calling names. Um, You know, I've had people criticize me because I don't believe in a pre trib rapture, Um, but I was raised Baptist. And so growing up as a child, it was part of my normal thought process that the rapture could happen at any time. So I I always believed in a pre-trib rapture, um, but even though I don't believe in that anymore, not because somebody taught me, but because of things I I studied in scripture, um, I I hold what's called the pre-wrath view. I believe that uh, the church is gonna be here up until the point where right before the wrath gets poured out upon the earth, I believe the church is gonna get taken. But it doesn't matter you know, that, that doesn't make me any less of a Christian or any more of a Christian. And I think this is one of the problems is that people want to divide over these little issues. And I see, you know, I've got friends, married friends, who they divide in their house over the interpretation of Genesis chapter 6. You know, we have people dividing over every issue possible in Scripture. And it's time that the church says, hey, you know what? We need to be unified as the true body of Christ If somebody brings something to our to our information that maybe is a little weird sounding, well, let's pray about it instead of just criticizing the person. Let's pray about it and let's look into these things. Yeah. You know, the Bible says, "Let us come together and reason." Yes. You know, what are your thoughts on this? This is one of the biggest uh, tactics of the enemy for the end times is creating division amongst the church.
1: Yes, I I think that uh, we live in the uh, educated age. Uh, You know, we live in an age where we each have Bibles at home. We have access to the Internet. We have access to teachers uh, that, that, you know, we we can trust. we We can see that where they lead us in Scripture makes sense over and over again. We have more resources at our fingertips than any generation of the church before us. And so more than ever, it's our responsibility, I think, to look into these things. Um, I agree with you, and I think that God will lead anyone who wants to know the truth of His Scriptures gladly into understanding them. That's why He spoke them. He's, you know, He's not trying to hide them uh, from those who love Him. Uh, the, for instance, uh, this idea of the religions that you mentioned and what's been taught. Now, Paul, uh, in his great speech in the, in his letter to the Ephesian Church, uh, where he talks about the spiritual war, he says that we don't fight with flesh and bone like humans we're fighting with powers and principalities in the high places and uh, principalities and powers in high places so this is uh uh, the enemy is is not human humans the children of noah live all around the world and they have been deceived by these Uh, so when we're talking about uh this deception and these fallen angels and the religions they've created it's not really to take a jab at a particular religion or a culture uh, but rather there's two sides uh, to the fence on one side it's us the humans trying to understand what's going on on this planet who was true what's false who is God uh, you know we have questions it's natural and on the other hand we have these these uh, bodies of literature that we are told uh, are were not written by humans they, they are, they're they they're attributed to the gods quote unquote and they are at the heart of every structure uh, of the structure of every civilization and we're trying to understand who are these guys so when we when we when we look to the Bible for guidance and it leads us uh, to, to where they are, the conclusion sometimes is uncomfortable, uh, but we're not taking a jab at other uh, cultures or religions. We are, as humans, banding together, looking for the truth. And, and all those people who have a heart for the truth are absolutely open because they're not attached to a particular culture or religion. They're attached to, to finding who really God is and what is it that God has actually said. Um, So when looking into the scriptures, uh, what I discovered was, well, it it all started with uh, this verse in Revelation chapter 2, where uh, Jesus says uh, to the church of Pergamum that the throne of Satan is there. And I thought, the throne of Satan, in Pergamum? So as I looked into Pergamum, I realized that the largest altar of Zeus in the ancient world was there. And and the archaeologist, the German archaeologist who discovered it, had also commented that if Jesus was talking about anything uh, uh, real in the city of Pergamum when he pointed to the connection between the city and the throne of Satan, it must have been the altar of Zeus. And so suddenly the idea was what? Zeus was one of the gods of the ancient world. Uh, He's connected to Satan? Is that possible? So looking into who the gods were, uh, I had a program called Esword, and I I just uh, uh, went with, with that program, pulled out every passage in the Old Testament, where the word gods were mentioned, uh, and I discovered that there was hundreds of passages that talked about these guys as though they were real beings. Like, for instance, in Deuteronomy 10.17, where it says that uh, that Yahweh uh, is the God of gods, that, that, that he is the El of the Elohim, and the Lord of lords, the Adon of the Adonim. And I thought, well, how could God be actually the leader of mythological beings? Or, or, for instance, when they're admonished, worship him, all ye gods, King David writes in the book of Psalms. And I thought, well, what, they're instructed to worship God? Or in, in Exodus, uh, where it says that God came to Egypt personally and walked you know, that day on that faithful Passover, and he judged the gods of Egypt, the Elohim of Mizraim. And I thought, what? How could how could the gods of Egypt fall under judgment if they were not real beings? Yes. And, and, and so there's hundreds of passages in the Bible, like in in in, in Psalm 82, verse one, where it says that God uh, is ruling in the congregation, judges among, in the congregation of the gods. And, and, and so so it's like, wait a second, who, who God is inside of an assembly? God is judging these guys. God is, they're, they're, by the Holy Spirit, is instructing them to worship and praise God. God's title itself is the God of God. And so, wait a second, this is interesting. So these beings are actually, according to the Bible, real. And, and so then I really started to look into uh, all these stories. And I noticed that every civilization attributed their genesis to a heavenly code. The most recent example of this is Islam, looking backwards from our time, where, you know, the Arabs are just living in this desert. They don't have a written, uh, language and, and there's, they're flanked by the Greek and Persian civilizations that are far more advanced, uh, when it comes to the bodies of knowledge. And suddenly Muhammad claims that he's receiving revelation from, uh, you know, this Allah. And next thing you know, uh, after his death, the, the words are codified a book is put into place, a worldview is given to them, this is how you live, this is how you understand the world, this is how you understand the community of Muslims, this is how you understand other people, and empowered supernaturally. I mean, you, to your point, there are so many stories of supernatural victory with the young Arab army as it takes on you know, the great Persian Empire and Byzantium in Greece, there are so many uh, miraculous victories that these guys have that allows within a hundred years uh, for the, the Islamic armies to conquer uh, the Persian and Greek world, and 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 the, the Muslim world is born suddenly, which which you know uh, makes people believe well there's something behind this obviously. But going back into history, I realized that there was every civilization, no matter how far back you went in time, attributed its sudden birth, and the codes that gave it worldview and structure and understanding, it all suddenly appeared on the stage of history at some point in the story of these nations with a revelation from one of these quote-unquote gods. Whether it's the Hinduism and the Vedic texts that that go back to around 3,500 BC in the Hindus Valley, whether it's the Code of Hammurabi, and there's two copies of it left, one in the Louvre Museum in Paris, The other in the Museum of Pre-Islamic Civilization in Tehran, and I've seen it, where the king of uh, Babylon, the Hittite king of Babylon, Hammurabi, receives a code from Shams, the sun god whom the Greeks know as Apollo. And there he is sitting and giving the scroll of the law. The way that Moses goes on the Mount Sinai and receives a law uh, from God, uh, the first 10 of those commandments were written by God's own finger. Uh, and, and suddenly the, the, the Jews go from being a group of, of, of slaves uh, to being a, a civilization with an entire code that will now structure them, give them worldview, give them a temple, give them a priesthood, later on give them a king. And and these laws are at the basis of the laws of the Western world, including the, the, the laws of the Commonwealth countries uh, such as Canada where I am or the United States where you are. Uh, it's incredible that the laws spoken on Mount Sinai continue to be part of the fabric of our legal system. So, uh, or, or the story of the Lord himself, God becomes a man and walks in Israel and his words will change the Roman Empire. Even though he never leaves Israel, he's, he talks only for three years, he's arrested and killed as, as a common criminal in a small colony of the Roman Empire, yet his words will change the Roman civilization. And, and, and breathe a new understanding of life into it. So all the civilizations attribute their central codes to these gods, and the Bible makes it clear that the gods of the nations were these fallen angels. You, know, you have to remember that the term fallen angel is a term of Christian culture. It doesn't exist anywhere in the Bible. The concept does, but the term doesn't. Uh, look at this, this verse I find very interesting in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8 and 9. It says, when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. So God gave the nations at the Tower of Babel, uh, and and some people argue even, even perhaps before, but he gave the nations. To the sons of God, he established borders and boundaries and put these guys behind them as their power structure, That would, the angelic power structure would be behind the nations. But Jacob, which is another term for Israel, he took for himself. So it's interesting because moving forward, we see this in the Bible. Uh, we see it in the story of Jesus and Satan where in the temptations where Satan says to Jesus, I have dominion over all the nations, all the kingdoms of the earth have been given to me and I will give them to you if you worship me. And the Lord responds, it's it's written, worship God alone. So Satan is saying, he's saying, look, I am ruling all of these nations. And and the polytheistic gods were the mask that these guys were wearing. uh, And they were decreeing not only religion, but but that was the heart of of the code of civilization. They were giving all kinds of knowledge that was uh, the basis of, of, uh, uh, of the knowledge that has led to civilization itself. Not that humans didn't have their own knowledge. Um, you mentioned the Catholic Church. Um, you know, There's the Queen of Heaven. The Queen of Heaven is one of the most ancient uh, entities uh, that is mentioned in, in the Bible as well, in the book of Jeremiah. The Jews are chastised for, for worshipping her and baking cakes to her. Um, she, her cult center after the flood started in the city of Uruk, where Gilgamesh was king, uh, and the name that she adopted for herself, Inanna, in the, in the ancient Sumerian language, uh is what it means queen of heaven and it's the epithet that she she prefers um she's worshiped to this day in the church and you're right she does do miracles at fatima and other places there are miracles reported that continue to deceive people and this is a pattern that's going to continue ahead of us where the dark side is going to breed supernatural our theory was that uh, the fallen angels in this modern age, as far as the Western world is concerned, are putting on a new mask. They're no longer the gods. Um, you know, Paul says in the Corinthians that the gods of the Greeks were the devils. And he says, I would not that you sacrifice them. They're no longer going to put on that mask because the age of the Holy Spirit brought monotheism in. Um, they're putting a new mask. And the new mask is that they are aliens. They're aliens. And, and they're technologically advanced and, and, and naturally they're, 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 bene- they're good aliens and they're here to help us. Uh, going back to the beginnings of the UFO phenomenon in the 20th century in America, uh, in, in the late 40s, very, very early on, this idea was spoken that the saviors of the world have arrived and that they're here to usher us, uh, through this you know, uh, warlike ways and nuclear wars and all that stuff that we have, in order to uh, welcome us into the galactic community, they're here to help us at this very dangerous time in our history. So, so from the very beginning of the phenomenon, uh, the, the, the messaging that came out uh, was that of they're here, they're saviors. Um, uh, there was a movie made in 1951 or 52 called *The Day the Earth Stood Still*, which was a propaganda film from Hollywood. But had, you know, the hand of these fallen angels behind it, because it is actually a movie that presents that theory. This alien has come to the earth, and at the end of it, you know, he overpowers everyone very simply by lifting his finger up, and all technology stops working everywhere. And he, once he has everyone's attention, he delivers this message, which is put away your warlock ways. Um, over time, I've noticed that there's a huge amount of focus in the story of alien abductions, the modern day UFO phenomenon. Uh, which is a fallen angel phenomenon. There's a lot of talk about how these guys are going to help us with environmental disasters that are ahead of us. So I do think that this whole focus on the environment uh, is connected to a strategy of Satan. Uh, it, it's one more problem that they're going to solve. On one hand, perhaps it's God's judgments. You know, God says that he's going to um, increase the temperature of the sun. And, you know, uh, there's one of the angels pours a bowl in the sun. And things get really hot down here. So um, it's possible that God is bringing judgment, but the fallen angels are putting a twist on it and, and utilizing it and presenting their technology as something that could help us. So there is there is a new mask that the fallen angels are putting on. They are no longer the gods of the ancient world. Uh, they are the modern-day gods or, or aliens, and and they are here to save us. Um, you don't see this unless you put all the dots together. Unless you go back and really kind of look at all the passages that talk about the gods, and then and then see the all the contribution that these guys made to the nations, and and kind of follow the breadcrumbs. And they all had vehicles. The, the the chariots of the gods, you know, are, are, were made famous by von Donenken, uh But there's also the chariots of God in the Bible that we have. And there are many stories, like in, in, in the Hindu tradition, the Vimanas, where the, what the gods flew in. And to this day, in modern Hindi, the word for aeroplane is Vimana. Um, the word for chariot is Markava. Uh, so there was a vehicle. Um, there was lots of mention of all of this in the cultures. And when you follow the breadcrumb into the 20th century, and you realize where these guys are still among us, they still have vehicles, but the Bible tells us who they are. So the majority of them are these fallen angels that were cast to the earth. And they are taking a last stand uh, against the second coming of the Lord. And, and deception is part of it. and the heart of deception, we, our conjecture was uh, that it's um, a reversal of roles. The, 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 the coming God and his uh, uh, angels and his vehicles, because it says in Isaiah 66 that so the Lord will come with his chariots to render judgment that they will be cast as as the bad guys coming to the earth, the one that gave us religion, the one that are here to dominate us. And these guys, the ones that are here, the, fall, the fallen angels, will cast themselves as the good guys. The word antichristus in the Bible actually doesn't mean against Christ. The word is not antichrist. We say that in the culture. It's actually ante Christus in Greek. Which means pseudo messiah instead of Christ. It's the spirit that claims to have the answer. Oh no, Christ wasn't the savior. This other idea, this other religion, this other person, this other solution. This is the and so these guys are gonna play the role of the pseudo messiah. We're here to save you and and these coming saviors are actually the bad guys. So there's gonna be kind of a uh and Chuck Bessler and other people who interviewed uh uh, in 2006, documentary UFOs, Angels, and Gods that people can watch on our website, you know, conjectured that, that the coming lie may be this reversal of reality. So, definitely, there's a lot of uh, uh, information that any Christian in our age can weigh for themselves in order to understand where did these religions come from? Why is it that their instructions change the word of God? And, and, and how does it connect into the modern-day UFO, phenomenon, which is not modern at all. And, and to your point, they may have had bases in the earth for eons. Um, and that it's all coming to a head, and it's coming to a head the way that the Bible has predicted it uh, from old. And uh, the prophecies are suddenly becoming very literal, very real, including things uh, that pertain to angels and the Son of God coming from outer space. Uh, to make contact with this planet and entering the stage of world history, even these things are now possible for us to fathom in light of the UFO phenomenon.
0: Oh, absolutely, and uh, you made a really, you made a lot of good points. But I, I just want to just mention back to what you said about Zeus. Um, it, it's been one of those things that I, I've just very, I felt very strongly uh, that Satan is Zeus. I believe that when Zeus manifested, that it was actually Satan. Um, that's been my personal view. And I know I've had, I've had people write me and tell me I'm wrong. Um, I really do believe that Zeus was one manifestation of Satan. I, I believe that in that time, in that region, that it was Satan manifesting to that group of people. Um, now I'm, I'm not beyond correction, but that's as of now, that's where I've landed. Uh, I think it's very plausible that that is the case.
1: Well, yeah, there is uh, this passage in Revelation chapter 2 where the Lord says that I know where you dwell, to the church of Pergamum, where Satan's throne is. Yes. Now, when you look at the city of Pergamum, the altar of Zeus was the largest in the whole world. People from all over the Roman Empire were were sending sacrifices to that altar 24-7. That's how... Busy it was. There were sacrifices being offered from all over the empire to Zeus from that altar 24 hours, seven days a week. Um, the, um, there was a, 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 a biblical archaeology had this thing. I think this was just in the year we released the documentary. It made me really happy. It's one of these confirmations. Biblical archaeology had this, this uh, article. It was the, uh, the cover of biblical archaeology was this little, uh, picture. From the altar of zeus which is in berlin now strangely enough you know in berlin um and and it said underneath it the throne of satan and it was this professor from yale theological uh, school that argued the same thing that it seems that the that the lord was pointing to this altar as the throne of satan and and she mentioned uh, that that according to the bible the fallen angels are behind the nations and she quoted uh actually Deuteronomy 32 uh, verse 8 and 9 which has been um misspoken in many of the translations of the bible but we now even though you know the bible i have on my iphone here it's an esv and it's already corrected it that that the nations were divided according to number of the sons of god and and you know she mentions so this this idea suddenly that the altar of zeus not a question is who is zeus well zeus is the head of the pantheon of the gods and uh, there are 12 gods um, yeah, even though Zacharias Titian has a lot of crazy ideas that I don't agree with and has misled people, uh, yet you know, in, in the mid 1990s, as Christian, as who were who researching this stuff, we didn't have a lot of Christian writers to read about. So, so we, you know, we did read some of these guys, and and he uh, has made some discoveries in the middle of all of his nuttiness that that were good. And one of the discoveries that he made was that all the pantheons of the world were essentially. Mirrors echoing the ancient pantheon of, of, of the Sumerian civilization, the oldest of the pantheons. So the names of the gods changed, but their characteristics carried through, and there was always twelve, and there was always this guy who was the head of it. Um, so I believe that uh, you know it, it goes back to Enlil because because it says in the Sumerian king list, um, the oldest document we have that documents. Uh, the dynasty of kings who's ruling the earth, that, that kingship was passed down from heaven to earth um, uh, in, in the city of Kish after the flood and Eridu before the flood. But actually, in Sumerian, it doesn't say kingship. It says Enlilship. And so the scepter of rule, the one that was passed down, is referred to as the scepter of Enlil. And we see that uh, society goes undergoes a huge transformation from being patriarchal uh, organized in clans to being organized around this idea of the royal priest who rules out of a ziggurat, out of these ancient pyramids in which the gods descended and haunted the spirit of this you know, royal priest. And, and this is what urbanization actually is. Urbanization is this phenomenon where the structure of human society shifts from being patriarchal and clan-like to being structured around this uh, royal priest who's received the scepter of Enlil. That's what urbanization actually is, according to anthropologists. And then when you follow this scepter, it eventually lands in the city of Babylon, uh, uh, and, and, and the god there is called Marduk. So the, the, it's the same guy, the same fallen angel, but the, 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 the face and the image changes to reflect that culture, to say that the throne is now among us. And then when the Persians take over, the cult of Marduk comes to, Pergamum where he becomes known as Zeus and the altar of Zeus is created and when the Romans take over Greece and they adopt Greek culture they simply take Zeus and they change the name to Jupiter which means the father of the gods and and they now hail him as Jupiter the one who's now placed a scepter of rule in Rome now there are different fallen angels that have been given different territories there are seven that are above them all uh the seven princes and this is the seven heads of the dragon uh and rome and greece each have their own but there is this guy the one who let's say is called zeus uh, in the time of the greek culture that is the head of the pantheon and i think the lord is making a connection between zeus the leader of the gods and satan because the leader of the gods is always satan he is he wears different masks and different pantheons and different cultures But the leader is always him because he is the prince of this world.
0: And man has known about this. You know, this is one of the things about the occult is that in the occult, people are seeking. I mean, they're seeking truth. Let's just be honest for a second. People who are part of religions, who are sincere, who are sincerely desiring to be part of their religions, I should say, they're seeking truth. Unfortunately they're just they're, they're not seeking it in the right place right and you know and I try to be graceful about this because if I meet somebody of another religion and they really take heart to their religion um, I, I look at that and I say, okay, this person is seeking truth but the problem is is that they've been given bad information so as a Christian who wants to evangelize who wants to share the gospel um, I, you know it, it's not my instinct to run. From people of other faiths. It would be my instinct to want to talk to them, you know, pull information from them about what they're seeking and what they found, and then interject the word of God. You know, we don't change people. The Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit changes people. And the transfer- the transformation begins to take place as we grow in the Word of God. And so, you know, we find these people who are sincere. They're seeking the gods, you know, in their mind, they're seeking the gods. I was over at a lady's house. Um, this was back when I used to be a personal trainer years ago. And I remember, um, uh, she had invited me and my friend Edward to come over for, for, uh, for lunch. It was like, she wanted to cook brunch for us and real sweet lady. And she was of the Hindu faith and I'd had a lot of talks with her, but I, I, she was one of my clients. I used to train her. And so she told me that her and her husband, they were very successful Hindus. I mean, very successful in the business world. They own multiple businesses. And she said, I, I really want to have you and Edward cause Edward was one of my, one of my good friends. She said, I want y'all to come over for brunch. And I, I knew that I'd already talked to her about Jesus many times. And she was very open to hearing what I had to say because in her religion, you know, it's not wrong to worship different gods. Right. You know, you're allowed, you're allowed to. And so, you know, rather than me just hearing that she's a Hindu and wanting to just kind of clam up and just kind of letting her do her thing, I wanted to share the gospel because I knew that she was allowed to hear it. And so we go over to her home. We have an awesome meal, and, and let me tell you something. Uh, we walked back to her idol room. She was giving us a tour of her house, which was a massive house. And she says, "This room over here, this is where our gods are." And so we walk over to the idol room, and I'm looking around and, and I'm praying silently. I'm, I'm, I'm praying silently, and I'm just I'm, I'm asking the Lord for supernatural strength and power. And I, I'm kind of walking through, asking some questions. You know, I don't want to go in there and just break everything. I wanted to ask questions. I wanted to know <laughs> what she believed. And, and I told her, I said, you know, the thing that's missing here is Jesus. I said, because he is above every God that ever was. I said, there there is no way to the Father but through Jesus Christ. And I said, and all these gods here, I said, they're, they're gods with little Gs. I said, they, they hold no weight to the real God and to, to, to the creator. And she allowed me to tell her more about Jesus. And man, we went and we sat down at her table and... She asked me, she looked me right in the eyes and she said, would you pray and ask Jesus to bless this meal for us? Nice. The Lord, the Lord moved in that situation and I was able to, uh, we held hands around the table and I prayed in Jesus name that the Lord would bless, not just the food, but that he would bless our time and that he would be there with us. Because I know that when Jesus shows up, lives get changed. And I'm telling you something, man, the average Christian would not have been in that situation. They would have run off, you know, some of the the legal, the legalistic Judaizers would have been like, oh, well, you can't eat that food. It's probably been sacrificed to idols. I mean, everybody has an excuse to not evangelize, but I saw it as an opportunity. And man, I'm telling you what, dude, that was a powerful day of my life. But she had seen the supernaturalism of her gods. She had grown up in the supernatural you know, uh, amongst this pantheon of all these gods that are, you know, uh, innumerable per se in the Hindu religion. Uh, I know you can put a number on it, but, you know, uh, they've got new gods coming up. I mean, they, they, that's how it is. They, they Even mankind, they elevate certain men into godhood and they get added to the pantheon. And it's it's a very strange type of religion. But just because somebody doesn't believe in Jesus, I mean, that, that is an open door to evangelize and to share the gospel with them. And you know what? I've met people of other faiths who have more passion and desire for the truth than people have gone to church with. And so we have to seize these opportunities to share the gospel in season and out of season. And a lot of these things that we're talking about here uh, with the UFOs, with the supernaturalism of scripture, that is a great witnessing tool because there's something inside of man that desires the supernatural knowledge. And if we can show them that the Bible is not just some dusty book, you know, uh, some old dusty book, but it's actually a real supernatural message from the creator. Revelation. Exactly. Revelation from the creator. Uh, when we show people that, not only does it does it spark the Christian, not only does it give a Christian a new hunger and, an, and a new enlightenment, but it, it, to the unbelieving world, they see that, they hear that, and they think to themselves, there may be truth to this. Let me look into this.
1: No, I mean, that's why that's why the, God put those words in there, because people need those words uh, to be explained to them in order for the world that's outside their window to make actual sense. When someone says, look, I just saw a UFO. Uh, I'm sorry if the Bible has nothing to say about this, then I don't know if I can believe in it, because, they, this, you know, I'll make my own theory uh, as to who these guys are. People want to see that the cities that are in the Bible actually existed, that the prophecies actually come true. These are normal questions for anyone to have. And there's a reason why God put this information, because this is actually the information that has in it the questions that we are we are going to have on this journey. The Lord was one step ahead of us. He, he answered our questions already in the things he chose to reveal to us. And so they're there. Uh, because they, they help us grow in our faith and then move forward. So absolutely, you're right.
0: Yeah. I want to make a quick statement about something I said earlier. And, uh, and this is my first time talking with you. Uh, I know most people who, who tune into the program, uh, they're familiar with my eschatology. You know, I, I didn't bring up the, the, the rapture idea to be divisive. I brought that up as an example of how people divide over little things that are not salvation based. OK, and that's the thing as Christians is, look, we're going to have difference of opinions. We're going to see things differently in Scripture. Look, I saw things in the Scripture 12 years ago that I see differently now. And, you know, it's it's amazing how God works through his word and how when we're hungry and we're thirsty and we're seeking after the bread of life, God is going to fill us with it. And the closer uh, the closer we get to the Lord, it's like the more things he reveals to us. Yes. And, and I just want to make I brought that up just to say this. You know, a lot of people, and again, I'm going to be very clear about this. I have a lot of friends who believe in a pre-trib rapture. I have a lot of friends who believe in a mid-trib rapture. I've got friends who believe in a post-trib, pre-wrath. Look, I've got friends that believe in all these different eschatological stances. But at the end of the day, we all believe in Jesus Christ, and we are all anticipating his glorious return. And I bring up the rapture thing only to say this, and I wanted to say this, but you know, I think it's important to get this out there the things that the bible says that are coming they're important to understand and you know my you know my advice my encouragement because i don't divide over these things I, you know i i have people on the show that are pre-trib you know mid-trib whatever it, you know that's not a divisive issue for me um because at the end of the day at least one of us is going to be right <laughs> but we're all, we are all right in the sense that jesus is going to return And the reason I bring it up is because a lot of people that I've met from the Baptist church growing up, especially when I started to learn and expand my knowledge of scripture, uh, a lot of people, they would say, you know, we don't, we don't need to learn these things. You know, Matthew 24 was written just to the Jews. Um, You know, the church is going to be out of here before the tribulation. So, you know, we, it's not something we need to focus on. Well, look, you know, if the church is going to be here for the tribulation, Would that change your view of the importance of those passages? Well, absolutely it would. If the church is going to be here, then you would want to know those things. But if the church isn't going to be here, people think that they don't need to. But there are people coming up in the pre-trib movement now who they say, we don't believe we're going to be here, but we believe the information is vital to understand. And so if you're listening right now and you believe in a pre-trib rapture, I encourage you to study eschatology and know, that the, every bit of information in the Word of God is valid and important to understand. Now, you know, hope for the best, prepare for the worst.
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's it. That's the, that's the good logic is you, you want to be better safe than sorry uh, and understand that, you know, these things, you may be here for all of this, so, so it's good to understand, you know, uh, what what the, what is being said. It, there was a neat way where, starting with kind of, well, Schofield, uh, who was a dispensationalist teacher, but then Hal Lindsey really made it popular. And, you know, Chuck Missler, uh did a lot. Uh, then there was Tim LaHaye. Uh, right now, right on my bookshelf, I see Tim LaHaye's book uh, about the rapture. Uh, for a while there, it was all very neatly packaged. You know, Israel is going to go through the 70th week, the time of Jacob's trouble, and the church will be raptured. And it had to do with the idea of the, retain- the restrainer being removed. Um, and and the idea was, okay, the restrainer is going to be taken out, but actually it says it's going to be taken out of the way. By the way, that says that in the Bible. The restrainer is going to be taken out of the way. But the idea was, well, the restrainer is going to be taken out, and then the son of perdition is going to rise. Well, the restrainer is the Holy Spirit, and therefore he, he inhabits the faithful. Uh, but referring could be the angel Michael, I mean, when you look at this entire power structure of the angels behind the nations and and God protecting Israel, an angel and the angel that protects Israel apparently is Michael because the book of Daniel says that Daniel says, you know I called your angel, perhaps God orders Michael to stand down and and allow these guys you know the the every every these guys are every generation they're hoping to take over the world it seems it's kind of that cartoon like uh pinky on the brain what are we going to do tonight brain or to take the road you know, it, I, i'm it, old it, enough to know is. that
0: like i'm old enough to get that reference
1: <laughs> yeah so the the there's the, the these guys and then rise you know to power um for me it was the same thing you know there was a wave when i was researching these things or when i made the documentary there really was only one perspective and that was You know, the rapture is a biblical teaching for sure. 100% the church will be raptured. The Bible teaches that. As far as the timing of it, you know, there was a a time where I believed that it was pre-trip. It was really, I think, Joel Richardson that started to open my mind to a huge number of scriptures uh, that pointed to the fact that it was at the end of the age that we were going to meet the Lord. And and so uh, I started to then you know go towards a post trip you know pre wrath as as you like to say, but like you I feel that these things are petty to divide the word of God and and to take sides and you know the, and definitely definitely it's better to be humble when it comes to the study of the word of God and to with humility study all of it and not say oh I don't need to worry about this whole section because I won't be here for it well you know what uh, you may be wrong. So, so there, it's better to have that humility and, and really research the Word of God fully. And if you are going to be, uh, taken out before all of this, uh, comes about on the stage of history, wonderful. That's wonderful. Um, another thing that I found a little bit, uh, concerning with hindsight, because, you know, I was heavily into it, like all other people who are into the prophecy movement. Uh, the, the idea, you know, there's a website that was created called raptureready.com. The idea was, well, how do you get raptured? Is it enough to be a Christian? And and the answer in those days was, no, it's not enough to be a Christian. You have to be expecting it. You have to be living as though any day this could happen to you. You have to have that extra conviction inside of your mind to qualify to be raptured. So there will be the tribulation saints and the ones that are taken, you know, there is the – you remember the left behind series. There are those going to be left behind. That, with hindsight, this idea of dividing the church into those who expect to be raptured and, and those who are Christians and believe in the Lord and walk with him and worship him and pray and, and have all of that going for them. Because I felt, you know, the, the whole rapture thing was very much an American phenomenon. Now, here in Canada, obviously, we're, we're glued. Uh, so everything that, you know, comes out of the United States, we hear about it instantly. Uh, but. How about the rest of the world? How about all the Christians in Russia or or, or, or in China or or in uh, the Muslim world or in Tibet or, you know, who are a little bit further away from, from the epicenter of dispensationalism of Hal Lindsay's teachings or whatever? Um, uh, what happens to them? So I started to kind of question the whole idea. Um, so I think that uh, uh, there's room for, for thinking and evolving, and as uh, the Holy Spirit continues to share with us, Uh, And and I definitely don't want this to be a point of division uh, and position taking because no one has figured out how the prophecies are exactly going to uh, go down. It seems that all the schools of of end time prophecy agree on a single uh, idea other than the second coming, of course. And that is that there's going to be a 70th week because God speaks uh, to the prophet Daniel. He says there's going to be 77 year periods over Israel and over Jerusalem. So definitely, and 69 of those have already passed because it says the Messiah will be cut off and the temple and city destroyed at the end of the 69th, 70th year. And that's happened. So there is definitely one more seven-year period left over Israel and over Jerusalem, yes. But it doesn't mean that the church is not going to be here for it, even though, you know, I was listening to uh, uh, Chuck the other day uh, from New Zealand, and he has discovered a whole slew of new verses all over the Bible that that point to the idea of a church being taken out. And I really found those verses compelling, to be honest, and I think it reinforces the idea of the rapture. But the timing of it is a mystery. In the Hebrew tradition, it was customary to live with mystery uh, and to accept that we don't know all of the Word of God. In the Greek tradition, uh, coming from geometry and from mathematics and science, and the idea of being able to always prove things in equations and formulas, uh, we have this this tradition in the Western church that we need to always have an opinion that we have to solve all the mysteries of the Scripture. We have to have a correct perspective, and this is the right, and this is wrong, and this is the only, only, only two choices. Well, for me, there is a third choice. I'm sorry. I've been studying the Word of God for you know, uh, a very long time, for 20 years on a daily basis, and, and my focus has been on, on, on the end times. And... I think there is room for mystery. That's the third point of view. You can be right, you can be wrong, and you can also be in the I don't know state where you are sitting with the mystery uh, and waiting for God to reveal it to you. That's right. It's okay.
0: Uh, there's something about mystery that is amazing. And, and look, there were things that were mysterious that, that, that the Lord revealed over time. And and his time is perfect. And it, it's, it's really amazing because when you think about about Jesus Christ, when you think about how he came in the fullness of time, okay? This right there, that shows us just a little bit about how God's character is, okay? God has a timetable that is so far beyond anything that we could ever imagine. You know, we find ourselves praying for this, praying for that. God, I need this now. I need this now. Well, look, God is going to act on his timetable. God God knows better than we do, And when I think about the end times, I feel like the Lord put things in Scripture for a reason. He didn't just put uh, information about the end times in there just as filler. You know, uh, God is not a God of filler, okay? God is a God who he says what he means, and he means what he says, and he always keeps his word. And we know by reading his word that every word of God is true.
1: And he's sorry to interrupt you. He also says that he does nothing other than that which he speaks through his servants, the prophets.
0: That's right. Exactly. he's
1: laid out. He's laid out for us uh, his plan, and he's shared it with us out of compassion and love, uh, and that's where we're going. All the promises that he has made to us in Scripture will be fulfilled, and Christ, uh, the Messiah, is here to fulfill the law and the prophets, but there are many of the prophecies that have to do the Messiah that will be fulfilled at the second coming. He will fulfill them, and he will be the one who fulfills the law and the prophets, but he hasn't completely fulfilled all the prophecies yet. And then that's why we need to study them.
0: And I'm, I'm really interested. I've really, you know, there's a lot of questions that I get uh, doing doing the radio show. A lot of people have questions. And, and I always do my best to answer as best I can uh, with Scripture. And, and and sometimes I get a question where I have to say, look, that's a great question. I have some ideas, but I don't want to give them to you until I've studied it better. And and I'll dig into the Word. Uh, you know, I'll start doing Word studies in the Scripture, going back to original languages. And I, and I try to give the best answer that I can. Um, but one of the things that's really interesting is about how the last rendezvous is going to take place towards the end of the thousand-year reign. That's one thing that I would love to know more about, but we're limited. There, there's mystery involved yes. in how it's going to go about when Satan gets that one last run. How is that going to look? How is that going to affect the earth? You know, And a lot of people, they, they want so many answers to so many questions, and, and I do too. Yes. But there are going to be some things— that we have to accept. And I love that you said this early in the show. There's there's so many mysteries that we are going to have to accept as mysteries until the Lord reveals it. And I do believe there will come a time where all things will be revealed. And I don't believe all things are going to be revealed uh, while we're wearing this flesh suit or this cocoon of carbon. <laughs> yeah. But I'm excited. Yeah, I- and I- <laughs> It's anticipation. Uh, I want to make one quick comment. I know we're running out of time here. Um, I-, I think it was a few weeks ago uh, I was doing the show with uh, BDK and Phil. Phil Baker, we were talking about uh, just just different parts of grace, and and somewhere because the word grace we have different uh, different words that show up that get translated into grace. So there's different types of grace that we broke down in scripture. But the idea of Matthew 24, and and you know you brought up Matthew 24 uh, previously in our discussion tonight. Um, a lot of people say Matthew 24 was written just to the Jews, and and I just want to make a quick point about this, and and I didn't even think to say this uh, when we did our other show, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, but. Jesus was talking to a group of his disciples. Okay, these weren't the average Jew. He wasn't speaking over the nation of unbelieving Israel. He was speaking to the early church fathers. He was speaking to the disciples that started the early church. And I think that's really important for people to understand. God was speaking, even though they were children of Israel by nature, they were actually spiritual israel in its infancy that's right and and i think people people need to understand this even though they were jewish in nature they were spiritual israel by transformation through jesus christ and and i think that's really important because we have to understand that even though god was speaking to them jesus was speaking his word to them as as israelites he was speaking to them as christians yes and he was telling them what was to come and how 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 and and what he was explaining was you know it wasn't God's wrath that was going to be upon the church, it was actually the the hard times, the tribulation which was coming through the actions of wickedness upon the church, and God's wrath isn't going to be fully fulfilled until after that, but you know God is so merciful and long suffering. And I I think there's a beautiful picture that we we see in the Old Testament. When we see the plagues, and I'm I'm planning on doing an entire show on the plagues of Egypt and how they are literally uh, warring and judging the gods of Egypt. The plagues were very specific, and they had meaning to them.
1: And they're foreshadowing the judgment that we see in the book of Revelation, which draws heavily from the whole of the Bible. But there's sections in the book of Revelation that are essentially referencing those very plagues and saying that this is essentially a type, what we saw was a type of the judgment that's going to come at the end of the age, over the kingdom of the, of the Antichrist, because if you look at the story of the Exodus, um, it's like a small apocalypse. You have the people of God, and and that's us, and they're waiting for a deliverer, and we're waiting for a deliverer, and they are living in Egypt under a world structure, and the head of this world structure is a guy, the pharaoh, who considers himself to be the representative of the gods especially in the case of Ramses the Great who considers himself to be the servant of Ra and he said that you know he was going to lose against the Hittites he was outnumbered and ambushed by them but the spirit of Ra came over him and he fought like a thousand men and defeated them and and that they they were his main competing enemy uh, so 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 the the story of the pharaoh and the and the gods that were behind the pharaoh which are the fallen angels Uh, Because God not only judges them, but we see in the story that they replicate the miracles of Moses, like the snake and other miracles. They have power, and they have they have their own priests. So so what we see is this kind of the story of the apocalypse in small, because what is it that saves the Jews? Well, they have to sacrifice a lamb and put its blood on their doorposts, and whoever has the blood of this lamb on their doorposts, death passes over them. And so we are to understand that if we have the blood of the Lamb and we know, like John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God, we know that the Lamb of God was in fact the Messiah, that, that this, that's why he was killed on the Passover on this appointed day, set aside. So the Lamb of God is, is, is present in that story. The Deliverer is present in the story. The Antichrist, the Pharaoh is a type of the Antichrist. The gods of Egypt, well, they're the fallen angels. And Egypt is like a micro world. Now the world structure is global. So what we see in the story uh, of the Exodus and the Passover is a small apocalypse, and the plagues that you're talking about uh, are also something we see in the book of Revelation in the larger apocalypse story. Uh, There are also plagues of judgment that come over this kingdom of the final Pharaoh. So definitely the the story of Egypt, including the plagues, are a kind of a micro tale, like a type, like God is pointing to the past, to a historical event, and saying, the way went things went there, they went down there, they're going to go down in the future. And as sure as I delivered Israel from Egypt through my own mighty strong hand, I will also deliver you guys at the end of the age with my mighty strong hand. Be comforted. Be comforted. So it's a, it's a definitely, you know, a type of that. Um, as far as Matthew 24, and whether it pertains to Israel, well, you know, it's funny how we read things through filters. Like someone puts an idea in your head, and and people read it through that idea, and they repeat it to each other. And sometimes it's we don't realize that we're already reading it with a preconceived notion. So the idea essentially came from Cyrus Schofield, who was a dispensationalist teacher who, for whom I have immense respect. He was a great, inspired teacher of God, and and and. Had incredible things to to teach. Uh, he he really uh, was restoring the importance of Israel uh, inside of the Christian thought because replacement theology had basically erased Israel out and say you know what there, there is no more Israel. They've been basically uh, uh, cast out of you know uh, the story of the Bible and and yes there're Jews wandering around the nations but they're supposed to become Christians uh, or die in their sins and that's the end of that there's no room there's nothing and so so there was this movement that was trying to restore Israel so maybe in that fervor to do that the, the movement went really really far and said you know what actually Israel is separate from the church and and their prophecies about Israel and there are prophecies that apply only to Israel. And and look, the church won't be here because this is the time of Jacob's trouble. And so it has nothing to do with us. The separation was made complete. Maybe it was because of this fervor. Uh, but you made an excellent point that the disciples of the Lord were the beginnings of, of the church, that the first church was a Jewish church. Uh, and in fact, right now, there's a huge revival among Jewish people who are coming to know the Messiah. Uh, because Paul says that blindness in part was given to Israel until the time of the uh, the, the number of the Gentiles, uh, um, the fullness of the Gentiles come in. So there's a number of Gentiles who have to receive the light and be grafted in, and then the blindness will be removed. So, so that, that has already started it seems because there's a huge revival uh, unlike anything we've seen for 2,000 years happening among Jewish people right now but you're right this was something that the Lord spoke to his church uh, the Bible is multi-layered it talks about the uh, abomination of desolation it talks about escaping the city of Jerusalem so so it, it may be speaking specifically to events that pertain to that part of the world and warning people who are most immediately in its epicenter but that doesn't mean that he's not speaking this to the faithful because the Bible is multi-layered and even though he's speaking, Uh, concerning jerusalem but he's also talking to people who are members of the church as you say uh, uh, and in in the church in its infancy and uh it could easily be talking because it says for instance all of these things will happen in one generation and we know that that's the generation that's come back to the land fine but we're also living that we're also present in the world with them while this generation is unfolding we're here witnessing it we're just given a way of understanding the times we're living in by focusing on a specific people. Uh, you know, the Bible would be too complex if God had to reveal to us the state of all the nations before his coming. We wouldn't understand it. So to your point, I think that it, it, it's it's a little bit uh, maybe a, a reaction to uh, uh, replacement theology uh, th- that required some teachers to go really far and carve out a unique place for Israel back into the imagination uh, of the church and into the uh, in theories of interpretation, into the hermeneutics of the of the church's uh, way of thinking about the Bible. I see that, but maybe we have gone too far in this clear cut division. I mean, the division is real um, yeah, for sure. Uh, the uh, even the heavenly Jerusalem that comes a thousand years afterwards has the names of the tribes written on the gates and the names of the disciples of jesus um uh, forever i think there's going to be you know the nations continue to maintain their individuality even a thousand years into the reign of the lord when the heavenly jerusalem comes it says that the tree of life is there and its leaves are for the healings of the nations so the the nations and the kings of the nations still exist in the heavenly jerusalem so the 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 17 nations we see in genesis chapter 10 continue to have a bloodline that is you know uh, manifested in, in, in the heavenly Jerusalem. Uh, so I think Israel will continue to have a place uh, and we will all have a place with the Lord uh, as one, united under one God and one Messiah, one spirit. Um, so sure there's a distinction, sure, and sure there's a unity uh, at the same time. So to say that, no, it's all been about Israel alone uh, and that we're going to be uh, taken out is to read this Matthew 24, from the point of view of some teachers uh, that put that in our heads. And so it looks like, oh, that's, that's the way it is. But we do have to sometimes question the filters through which we read things uh, because these filters may themselves not, not have been completely enlightened, even though, uh, you know, I consider Schofield to have been a greatly a great enlightened man when it comes to the Word of God. But, but yet, you know, he, he didn't have everything right. Uh, and that's okay uh, to, to ponder and question and to reread this passage with fresh eyes and to take into consideration what the Lord continues to reveal to us as we go deeper into the apocalypse. When I see a movement of thought coming over a large body of people who are sincerely studying the scriptures, it always catches my attention uh, because I think, well, we can't all be having the same idea independently uh, and perhaps this is from God. Uh, and, and, and so I see that right now there is a movement uh, of the spirit that's uh, challenging some of these ideas we've inherited, uh, uh in the 20th century, uh, concerning, you know, the place of Israel and the church. Maybe the pendulum has swung too far in the other direction. Yeah.
0: Well, but you know what? It can swing too far in either direction. And I think it's important to be fair on this topic. Um, because you know you find ten you find ten bible believing christians who who are real students of the word, and they 're all going to have slightly differing uh thoughts on israel i mean it's you know the, the, Israel is one of those topics that there 's a lot of mysteries about israel you know i 'm of the stance and i 'll make this real quick but I, you know i don't i don 't believe in a distinction between the church and israel now i 'm not a i 'm not replacement theology by any means, but I look at the church the church was Israel. I mean, when the, the first believers who started the church, as we would call it, the ecclesia, uh, they were Israel. They were Israeli. Now they took the message and they evangelized the Gentiles. So really, the church, in my opinion, from my study of scripture, the church is Israel. But you see, we got grafted into the church, which is Israel. It's it's literally the spiritual Israel. They were uh, the Jews were physical Jews, but they became spiritual Israel when they accepted Messiah they fulfilled their the, the prophecies and the callings of that great nation that God set up and so the church the church in its infancy was it, it was not some gentile movement the church was made up of children of Israel. Yes. To the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. And so we got grafted into Israel, but in essence, we got grafted into the church. Yes. So, you know, we have this weird view nowadays that the church and Israel are two separate entities, and and, and a lot of my friends believe that, but we have to go back to the origin of the church, and the church was started by Jesus through his disciples, who were Israeli. Yeah,
1: they're all Jewish the um the in jeremiah chapter 31 god makes a new covenant he announces that there was going to be a new covenant with the house of judah and with with israel um there's nothing mentioned there's no covenant in the bible ever made with the gentiles uh the, the covenant is made with judah and israel and the gentiles are grafted into the covenant uh and and we become one body through the messiah um as we're grafted in, and there's no division between Jews and Gentiles. In that sense, there's the spiritual Israel, as you're saying. Um, I get the sense from things that are spoken both in history and prophecy in the Bible that the national clans have merit in God's eyes, that God created Adam in his own image, that Adam had children, uh, and that God has a place for these children. He knows who they are. Their genes, their DNA, their place in, in, in his creation are marked. And there are clans, and and you have you know various families on the earth essentially. And Jacob is a family in the earth, and people are invited from all of these families to come and be grafted into the new covenant, into the Messiah, and be part of the spiritual reality. I am um, not sure that the, that even though we become one, the Messiah, that our national that our clans are completely erased, uh, because I see that God continues to speak about those clans deep into the heavenly Jerusalem, um, these, the, 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 all of the Bible is the story of the 17 nations uh, and how they were redeemed by God through the Messiah. Uh, the, the story of the Tower of Babel is the story of how God casts out the nations from his presence. But the very next chapter, chapter 12, is the story of Abraham, which is the story of, of the man through whom God will redeem the nations. And that's one of the roles of the Messiah, to call the nations back to fellowship with the living God. But the national division in in places like the New World, like in the United States or Canada, places like this, because people have come from all all nations, and we live under a state, and we see our identity more as citizens of the state rather than as like English people or German people or French people. Or, you know, so I think that in the kingdom of the Messiah, in the coming kingdom of Messiah, there won't be any more like, uh, you know, Americans, but there will be like, you know, English people. There won't be any more like. Egypt as a power structure, but there will be Egyptians, the sons of Ham. Mezraim was the son of Ham. The, the the national clans, the families that are mentioned in Genesis chapter 10, are going to make it into the Messianic kingdom uh, that is ahead of us, and they're all going to be part, and some of them will be, you know, the saints and will be part of the church and, and will have the new bodies, and other people, I think, uh, are ushered in and governed. Uh, there's seven billion people now, and, you know, their saints are going to rule, uh, with, with the Messiah uh, and, and, and and be given authority over the these clans, we may go back into these tribal uh, divisions that God has set up, rather than into you know the power structures that that, that have been created by men and human angels and fallen angels. I mean, uh, so so yes, we are all one in the Messiah, and Israel and the Gentiles have no more separation in the Messiah. Uh, we're just all you know Christians or spiritual Israel. Uh, yet, yet I, I feel that God is like, okay, you, you came from this clan and you came from this clan and I am going to continue to have a role in the way I, I divide humanity and govern it based on these nations that I have announced in my word, uh, in Genesis chapter 10. Uh, they continue to be a tree with branches that grows into the messianic kingdom and and finds its final resting place in the heavenly jerusalem but even in the heavenly jerusalem it says that the fruits of this tree are for the healing of the nations and which nations well the ones mentioned in genesis chapter 10 of which israel is one so we're united in christ and there's no division between us anymore yet i think that so to say that god may have prophecies about persia which there are prophecies about persia in the bible that God may have prophecies about Egypt, because there are prophecies about Egypt in the Bible, that prophecies about Israel, yes, Israel is a nation, there may be prophecies about it, yes. God can continue to specifically talk about these nations and these clans in his prophetic word, even though, you know, we are united in the Messiah uh, with, with uh, from all nations, united in the Messiah, uh, uh, Yet, yet there are prophecies about the nations. Uh, even in the age where Christians, uh, live on the earth and, 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 and come from various nations is so, so for me, the, the both, again, this may be a mystery, but both may be existing in the, in the word of God at the same time, The the removing of the division between Jew and Gentiles and the continuing of a, of, of, of a way of seeing the world that, that takes into consideration division that exists among the nations.
0: Well, you know, people would even divide over this conversation, um, Yes. You know, the fact is, like like you and I just presented two different views. Even though some parts of the views are similar, we just we just presented two different views about about modern Israel. If you want to go that call it you know modern Israel. And in doing that, we we basically just sharpened each other by by bringing two different views to the table to think about. And yes. the average person, you know, they hear something that's con- contrary to their, their popular belief or their pastor's belief, yes. and they just want to shut you down and not talk anymore. And so I, I this is this is great, because you brought up a different view, even though, you know, and, and I'm familiar with your view, um, and, and that's what's beautiful about the body of Christ is we're all studying and we're all researching, and, you know, my view is not anti-Semitic, and your view is not pro-Zionism. I mean, it, it, and, you know, but people want to label people. We have all these labels in the church and it's just, you know, I'm glad that we're able to have this discussion like this because you know what? The Bible tells us that we have to sharpen each other. One man sharpens another like iron sharpens iron. And that's so important in the body of Christ. Have, have discussions with people that, that might be different. You know, they have a different opinion than you do. Do it in love and, you know, it's enlightening and it's challenging all together at the same time. Yes. You know, and, and honestly, you, you could do a 12 hour radio show on the theories about Israel and modern Israel. I mean, honestly, you could you could easily do 12 hours.
1: And and I don't know. I mean, I'm open to changing my thinking. I, I am just challenged because I am on a lot of these shows and people do ask me these questions. And, and so it forces me to actually think about it. and I have to come up with an answer. And so I go, OK, well, it seems to me this is what's in the word of God. But I'm open to instruction and to understanding and and learning from the Lord and from the people that he sends me, um, I'm not, you know, I can see, look, there's an actual nation called Israel. I see there's Christians both among the Jews and Gentiles. And I see that we're headed towards the second coming. You know, the biggies are clear. We don't have to suddenly get all, uh, uh, have a temper tantrum over, uh, a s- a small knots in our understanding when it comes to the word of God. Uh, yeah, absolutely.
0: No, and that's that's what's awesome about being a researcher and a Christian is that we want to learn more and we want to grow. And not one of us is perfect and not one of us is beyond correction. And the day that we think that we have it all figured out, well, I can tell you right now that right there, you just blew your shot because you will not have it figured out, not all of it at least, until... The Lord reveals all things unto you, and the Lord is not going to reveal every mystery to us while we're here on this earth, in this time, in this flesh. But it's important that we do have discussions like this. I mean, we've talked about a a plethora of topics tonight, um, but it's all related to biblical prophecy and uh, supernatural understanding of what's taking place. And, you know, again, um, you know, uh, kind of just tying this into the earlier conversation, um, there are reports Uh, from two years prior to Israel becoming a, an official nation on the map again, there are reports of, I think it's about two years prior and about a year to two years following that there were massive UFO sightings over the land of Israel. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that was an accident. I I think there was something going on there. And even though I have a slightly different view about modern day Israel than some people, um, I believe the most prophetic part and again this is my this is my opinion here okay I'm not pushing doctrine on people this is my opinion I believe the most prophetic part about Israel becoming a quote unquote nation again um, I believe the most prophetic part about that was Jerusalem had to be set up for the antichrist that's that's really that's my point of view
1: That's huge 1967 when Jerusalem was captured on June 7th That set up a lot of Bible prophecies that now can be taken literally because they involve the city of Jerusalem, including Zechariah chapter 14 that deals with the second coming itself, where all nations gather against Jerusalem and the Lord comes and defeats the enemies. Uh, In 1993, the Knesset, the parliament of Israel, had to take an entire day, an entire day to deliberate about the massive UFO sightings that were happening in Israel uh, so many people were talking about it, and Israel is a very small country. Uh, the second, you know, some uh, enough people talk about some things, like the whole country is talking about it. Uh, there are so many people talking about it. They had, to, they had to consider whether this was a security threat to them or not. There, the, But the parliament had to had to get together in 1993 to talk about the UFO phenomenon. Uh, so, so, yes, there are angels uh, that are among us. Uh, we may – you should be hospitable because some of – entertained angels unawares, and now we're realizing that uh, these angels come and go to the earth using vehicles. They don't flap their wings. Uh, So we should expect to see such things among us, and of course the majority, uh, or I don't know, a very large part of these uh, guys are actually the fallen angels who uh, are related to the power structure of the present age, and the angels of the Lord are on their way, However, the angels of the Lord are also uh, here with us, protecting us, interacting with us, teaching us, leading us, comforting us. Uh, and, and there may be some angels protecting entire nations. Uh, that, and so it, it's it's uh, that's why people have all of these sightings, you know,
0: so it's very interesting to see the influx in this type of supernatural activity. But the, I think that the big point here uh, goes back. You made a great point that, you know, this this UFO phenomena It's and I say phenomena because it's not a phenomenon, because you you can't put a blanket, a solid blanket over what takes place with UFOs. It is so widespread. It is so nefarious. I mean, we're we're not dealing with, you know, just, you know, an isolated type of event here. We're dealing with a with a plethora. This is a phenomena of activity taking place inside of what we would call the UFO realm of, um, you know, manifestation. But you made the point that this is not new, that this is an ancient conspiracy. I mean these things have been going on for thousands of years. And the idea of the chariots of the gods, of Imanas, the, the Merkovas, all you know, whatever people want to call them in different cultures, they they are older than Earth itself. Yes. I mean, these these, these flying saucers are heavenly. They are technology outside of our realm. And look, the sons of God jump for joy at the creation. We we read this in scripture. The sons of God, they they are not, you know, they are not uh, the same age as the earth. You know, we're dealing with um, an advanced heavenly civilization. I mean, even the Bible talks about, you know, we're aliens here on this earth. We're seeking, we're seeking our, our, our heavenly yes. civilization, our heavenly city. We're seeking the city that God has prepared for us because we are not of this earth. I mean, technically, um, as Christians, we are sojourners. We are aliens. We are traveling here uh, with a passport or a green card, if you will, um, looking forward to the kingdom which is to come.
1: It says in the Bible that God is the creator of the heavens and the host of the heavens. And the heavens, you know, is a, is a really ancient English, and it's an old English word uh, for for the universe. Uh, you know, we talked about this. The word that is in the Bible is translated as heavens. In the Old Testament, it's shamaim, And in the New Testament, it's been translated as uranus. And and, and, and in the Old Testament, the word shamayim, depending on the context, the translator chooses actually for us what it means. But it means three things. It sometimes refers to the sky where the birds fly. Uh, But you'll see, you know, the birds fly in the shamayim. The the, the birds of the the sky, you know, they're going to come and eat the flesh of, of, of kings. Well, it's the birds that are in the shamayim. But then the word sometimes refers to this region outside of the earth where the sun and the moon exist because God creates the sun and the moon and the earth. Uh, and puts them into a, a relationship to measure time. Um, then we have the region beyond the sun and the moon. That's another uh, uh, the Shemaim in the Bible. It, it, it refers to that region. But all of this to, in modern English would be actually, the, you know, the universe. And and the King David in the Psalms talks about the heaven of the heavens, the Shemaim of the Shammayim. So is that, you know, some people say, well, that's the same as the third Shemaim. For me, it's like a fourth one. There's an actual place at the heart of it all where God dwells, where he enters time and space. uh, And that is what the heavens of the heavens is. We keep it kind of vague in English. We never say universe. Like I've never seen a Bible that translates Shemaim as universe. It's always the heavens because we're not quite sure how vast it is, how much bigger it is. Um, I I once went to, you know, uh, uh, one of these seders, uh, which is a Passover celebration that uh, some messianics do, uh, those Jews who believe in Christ. And and, and there, uh, it it was talking about God, the ruler of the universe. Uh, uh, He he is the ruler of Olam, which is kind of time and space in Hebrew. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. I'd never heard God, the ruler of the universe. We often, in English, we we use, you know, It's like Bill Clinton, when he was uh, doing uh, his speech to um, the State of the Union, one of these times I was listening, he was saying that we're going to invest in NASA. He said, we're going to invest in the exploration of the heavens. We we somehow, you know, try to skirt around the word universe as though it's a dirty word because we're not quite sure. And we've inherited this concept from um, uh, the ancient, uh, from the older church that there is this other dimension called the spiritual dimension. I'm not saying that doesn't exist. Uh, I, I think the universe has many dimensions. It's very vast. Uh, but this idea of dividing everything into these two places—you're you're there uh, in this ghostly realm where everything happens through magic, uh, or you're in the fallen world of man—and there's kind of no in between. And 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 what Galileo saw through his telescope? Well, let's 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 kind of forget that. That's just a footnote. Well, I'm sorry, it's not. And, and the word of God speaks about the heavens being the handiwork of God, talks about the stars being placed there and named there by God, talks about these beings that are in the heavens with us, and, and we are their children, I and mean, we're the children of God, and, and, and maybe that's why we're, we are looking into the stars, and that's why he's taught us how to how to read them and how to discuss them. And, and we are creating uh, ways of traveling around the earth and, and into the heavens as well, because these guys do it. Uh, so there's a lot of mystery as far as the building blocks of the creation and how God and angels are manifested in it. But but to dismiss all of this new revelation and, and, and that's coming to us at this point in history, uh, we have front row seats to the apocalypse. We're seeing the way it's all going to go down uh, better than any generation of the church. So instead of always drawing back to trying to fit our thinking into inherited uh, church thinking, we sh- it's okay for us to say, hey, Wait, wait a second. Looking out the window, we are seeing these flying vehicles. The Bible does, does talk about them. The universe is big. We don't exactly know how they get here. It's not like, you know, Gabriel sits in a spaceship and travels for days. No, I think the second he walks into one of his vehicles, the next second he's like in front of Mary. Uh, but to say that these things are used um, is okay. Uh, I mean, the Lord rode on the back of a donkey. Um, he, he sat in a fisherman's boat. He wasn't a body. Obviously, God is not a man. He's not a person. But that was a vehicle itself, the human body that he used. And to say that God is in the midst uh, of his angels in the heavens, it says right here in, in, the, in the verse I quoted from Sinai, it's still on my screen the chariots of God are tens of thousands, uh, and the Lord is amongst them in Sinai. Uh, the Lord has come from Sinai into a sanctuary. So he's in the midst of his angels with these chariots um, on, in Sinai uh, and, and, and it says in, in Isaiah 66 that, that the Lord comes with his chariots to render judgment um, so he's going to come back with them it, it doesn't mean he's bound with the laws of his creation it doesn't mean that he's not a miraculous being who's outside of time and space and has all power and might we believe that he is he's God um, but he has chosen to be in his creation so Uh, to to only divide the world between the realm of of ghost and the realm of body, the realm of magic and the realm of natural, the realm of uh, the angels and the fallen world is too simplistic of a division that we've inherited from uh, the the medieval European church. Um, I think that at this time, God is really opening our uh, thinking to to more of what's out there and what his word has always spoken of in order to prepare us for the way the second coming is going to go down. I mean, we're going to be shocked. You know, we went for a few years through this mind-boggling transformation in our thinking that led to the making of UFOs, angels, and gods. But looking back, I have to say that the most shocking thing after all of it, to this day, is the possibility that the Lord and his angels may return with vehicles and that there may be a mass, you know, war involving the ones, the vehicles that are on the earth and the ones that are coming, that the second coming is going to go down in a way that is very different than all the ages of the church had ever imagined. And we need to share this information with the faithful and with the world at large who's thirsty to understand what these things and these... As I said, in China, there are millions of people who belong to UFO organizations. People need to be told what these things are from the biblical perspective in order to fight deception. And people need to be explained this in the church to understand how the second coming is going to go down. Um, it's important to have this upgraded uh, perspective. Uh, and there's a reason why God is revealing it to us. I mean, I had a close up view of full sighting that kind of, you know, put me on the path to talk about these things. I feel the Lord said, okay, Ali, I need you to talk about this. And that's why I'm showing you these things in the scripture. And that's why I'm sharing this with you. Uh, this is going to be part of your your mission and your your service to me. And I'm like, okay, Lord, you know, fine. And and this is what the Lord is revealing to me that this is an important piece of the puzzle in order to understand uh, the nature of the second coming and how it, it it may be going down. It's not a trivial piece of information. It's actually central uh, to the Messiah uh, and and his activities. Yeah, on the stage of history, and the Messiah is the central character of the Bible, the incarnate God. Uh, it, it's important to understand these things and and to put away some of the traditional perspectives that we inherited, um, like the, the the idea that everything only happens in, in the form of spirit. Well, the Lord, who is the most uh, spiritual person in the whole of the Bible, is resurrected in a physical form, and he makes a point of that. The Bible is a precise document that draws our attention to specific things that God wants us to know. He says, look, I am not a ghost or a spirit. I have flesh and bone. And he invites people to touch his wounds and to feed him, or to really emphasize his physical nature. And he's going to rule out of the city of Jerusalem, and he's going to um, rule over uh, the earth, and, and the saints are going to be ruling over the earth. So God is not done with the earth. And even at the very end of the story, what does it say? There will be a new heaven and a new earth. So to say that 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 you know the universe is just a footnote in in God's uh, creation, uh, that we shouldn't really focus on on, on the heavens and the host of the heavens. We should really just understand we're in a natural fallen world and we're soon about to enter into a ghostly realm where God is already as a ghost and we're going to be like these you know. That the universe is just a footnote. And, well, uh, I don't know. That's, that's kind of weird to me. When God blessed the physical creation in the six days when he, when he made everything, he, he, he said this was good and blessed at the end of every phase of the creation story.
0: And, and just to add on to that, I know we're out of time, but even the idea of uh, we were made in the image of God. And so I believe that when we are glorified with our glorified bodies or our spirit bodies, I believe we're going to be recognizable. I believe that it's going to be—I uh, mean, again, our flesh is a representation, I believe, according to Scripture. So I do believe. I mean, look, look. At that. When when Jesus was up praying on the mountain, um, you know, Moses and Elijah show up. Now, how did the how did the disciples recognize them? They didn't know who they were. They weren't alive in their days, but they somehow understood that that was Moses and Elijah. Yes. So I think it's important to understand that there's uh, – even when we are given spiritual bodies or whatever we're going to be given by God, you know, things – and again, we can only speculate exactly how it's going to go down. Yes. But I believe we're going to be recognizable, and I think that what we have here is a picture of the things to come, but it, it, it's a foreshadowing. Yes. And so the things that are to, yes. that are to come, they're going to be better. And they're I mean, look, it doesn't get any better than spiritual, but I think that the spiritual is going to be um, – reminiscent of what we know
1: it's going to have substance like even if we have bodies of light because the lord is garbed with light it says in psalm 119 and and i have to say that i uh, saw a fallen angel and and it had a body of light and and i think that's why satan is called the shining one and, and, you know he's 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 referred to that uh you know in the whole idea in isaiah in lucifer there's the idea of light there but also in the book of Genesis, uh, the serpent is the Hebrew is the translation of the Hebrew word nahash, which can also be translated as "shining one." Very correctly, uh, serpent is also in there. It depends, you know, how the word is used. So the um, uh, the, the idea of us having bodies of light uh, it doesn't mean it doesn't have substance.
0: Right. Exactly. So I think that's something that, that should give people hope and excitement. And, and you know, the thing is, is like the closer we get to the end of this age, I feel like our understanding of scripture and prophecy is getting more, um, it's getting more accurate. We're getting more nuggets of information, which are like with the technology and with it, with everything that's unfolding in our physical world, uh, which really I believe it's unfolding in the spiritual world. But we're we're seeing things manifest in the physical world. We're getting a better understanding of, of, of the unfolding of prophecy because we're seeing things take place that people didn't see take place, let's say, 100 years ago, 400 years ago, 800 years ago. So we're seeing more and more progress. Man, we, we could keep going on, man. We, we, there's so much... Uh, to talk about. And there's even little, little things that I'd like to continue to talk about. I know I got to get you back on the fourth watch and uh, you know, we didn't even get a chance to talk about Goliath rising uh, your upcoming film. Uh, Definitely looking forward to having you uh, coming back on to talk about your, your upcoming film. Uh, But just want to let everybody know uh, your, your, your first film was UFOs, angels and gods. You, you've got this uh, available on YouTube on, on your channel. Uh, people can watch it for free. Uh, you also have this uh, LinkedIn on your website, and your website is ThinkAgainProductions.com. That's ThinkAgainProductions.com, and uh, you can also sign up for for Ali's newsletter. Um, now, what what can people expect if they uh, if they subscribe to your newsletter?
1: I'm going to be uh, putting out a lot of new insight that's, uh, that that the Lord has shared with me in the form of videos. There's going to be short videos coming out. There's going to be audio podcasts coming out. And there's going to be articles coming out that take people deeper into the mysteries of Scripture and how all of this uh, is coming to light in our age, uh, all these mysteries that are being revealed, and how it all ties into the Word of God and makes the narrative, the story, so much more real to all of us.
0: Amen. Well, all that can be done on thinkagainproductions.com. We've been talking with Ali Siatan That felt really good. I, I think I just said it perfectly. Was that right? that was very good Yes. pretty pretty close (laughs) yes yes well uh, well ali i tell you man i've really enjoyed our discussion uh we've talked about a lot of different things goodness eschatology supernatural the chariots of the gods uh good man we we could just keep going on this note and and i'd love to have you back on sometime soon absolutely anything you want to say in closing uh before we before we shut it down
1: i really enjoyed the conversation as well uh yeah, and, uh, uh no, I, I think we've really covered a lot of things. I just hope that people will take all of this uh, with a grain of salt, think about it, and, and do their own research. Um, you know, watch my documentary. It's a good point, a starting point for those who are not familiar with all this. Other than that, if you're already familiar, uh, and, and if you seek the word of God and pray about it, the Lord will reveal His truths to you. And we do have to be humble and open-minded. That's what Nik mean, means, someone who's teachable. Because the Lord's mysteries are far deeper than anyone of us has figured it out.
0: Amen. And that's why it's important to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ, sharpen each other like iron sharpens iron, challenge each other in love. And at the end of the day, the most important thing is to know that there is but one name given among men whereby we can be saved, and that's Jesus Christ. Yes. And we know that Jesus Christ is coming back for his bride. He is coming back for his redeemed. And that is something to look forward to. You know, our, our blessed hope is not the timing of anything. Our blessed hope is salvation in Jesus Christ and him alone. So, man, it's always a pleasure to have people like you on the show. Every once in a while, I meet somebody like you, Ali, and it's like, man, it's like we just, we 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 have so much to say, so much fruitful discussion.
1: We're like kindred spirits.
0: Exactly. I mean, we already had recorded a whole show practically before we even recorded a show. So, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, I'm really looking forward to having you back on. And man, God bless you, brother. Thank you so much from the fourth watch. And uh, we look forward to talking with you soon.
1: Absolutely. God bless you as well, Justin. Good to be here. I look forward to our next conversation as well. Bye-bye.
0: Well, that was an interesting discussion, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. We're living in a day and age where the true church of Christ is waking up and better understanding the pages of Scripture. And what an exciting time to be serving the King of Kings. I pray that you not only enjoyed the discussion tonight, but that you were edified and encouraged in the fellowship as well if you've never called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and entered into the family of God, stay tuned and I'll share with you shortly how this can be your day of salvation. Until the next time we meet again, God bless and good night. If you're listening right now and you haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua as your personal Lord and Savior and you haven't accepted his holy sacrifice on the cross to pay for your sins, It is absolutely impossible for you to have a solid understanding of his word. It's also impossible to find protection from the demonic realm and the days that are fast approaching friends. And furthermore, it is impossible for you to have peace with Yahweh, the God and father of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the good news. You can start anew right now. You can repent of your sins and you can have the wages of your sins paid in full. Now is the time to repent and turn away from your sins and make right with the will of God. The Bible actually declares that we don't know what tomorrow holds, so we must take action with the time that we have right now. Repentance is the first step, regardless of what you may have heard. This means turning 180 degrees from your past thoughts, actions, and lifestyles that are in opposition to the Most High God. Understand that repentance is a process and it is absolutely attainable because of the grace and mercy and power of God. Because of Jesus Christ and his once and for all sacrifice, you can be forgiven of all of your iniquity and every sin you've ever committed. Yahweh is a jealous God, but he is also rich in mercy. And tonight, if you're willing to admit your wrongs and repent, he is willing to meet you right where you are. And he will show you that mercy right now, friends. The wages of our sin is death. But tonight we can receive the gift of God, which is eternal life. But only through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans chapter six, verse 23. I am so thankful that God sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. A living sacrifice who shed his sinless and perfect blood to pay the debt of our sins, which offers us the ability to be seen as blameless before God on that day of judgment. And make no mistake, there will come a day of judgment, ladies and gentlemen. Let today be the beginning of your communion and peace with God as you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you can begin putting on the armor of God and growing in an intimate relationship with Him. It is the will of God that you don't perish but rather that you repent and enter into a relationship with him based on his terms. If you're not sure of what God's terms are, I want to challenge you to start reading your Bibles and learn firsthand what God expects from you. If you don't have a Bible, we highly recommend that you pick up a King James Bible, which is easy for anyone to find. Jesus Christ is our only hope, friends, and my prayer is that you believe on him tonight. That's the most important part of the show and by far the most important decision you will ever have to make in this life. Amen. It's been an interesting adventure tonight, and I sure hope you've all enjoyed this broadcast. If you ever miss a show or would like to go back and re-listen to an old one, every show is archived on our website, fourthwatchradio.com. All spelled out F-O-U-R-T-H-W-A-T-C-H-R-A-D-I-O FourthWatchRadio.com. There you'll find links to multiple streaming options and every broadcast is dated and summarized for your convenience Everything we offer is completely free including our mobile apps for Apple and Android devices You can easily click the link on the website to be taken to whichever app store applies to your device Be sure to stay tuned in every Thursday for all the latest shows Like us on Facebook and feel free to add my personal page as well If The Fourth Watch is ministered to you, and you would like to help support this ministry, you can follow the donate link on our website. I bid you all a week filled with grace and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see you all next week. God bless, and good night. You're listening to The Fourth Watch with Justin Fall on The Fourth Watch Radio Network.